Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Daffy's Roundtable. I got a super, super, super exciting episode for you guys today. Okay, so I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but this has recently started popping off on my Instagram. I've had a bunch of you message me, uh, reels that he's posted, um, his YouTube videos. This is one of the coolest things I've seen in the hobby since I've started in the hobby. This is truly, I can say, I feel like I use the word revolutionary too often, but this is truly revolutionary in the hobby. Okay, so my guest for today is Zach Porritt of A Life Exotics, and he has built one of the coolest vivariums. I don't even know if we can call it vivariums. A greenhouse in the middle of Utah in a very, very, very cold place. He's built a tropical greenhouse, a walk-in reptile room, if you will. Um, I, I don't like, I'm, I'm rambling too much. I don't want to keep talking about it. I'm super excited for you all to hear this episode. I hope some of you find some inspiration. I hope some of you try to come up with a similar concept, or maybe as I said in the end of the episode, think outside the box when it comes to the reptile hobby. Anyway, before we bring Zach on, before all of that, allow me to thank Exoterra for sponsoring this podcast and making this episode possible. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. Without further ado, everybody, please help me welcome one of the most revolutionary thinkers in the reptile hobby today, Zach Porritt of A Life Exotics. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thank you very much for coming on. I'm good. I'm very happy to be here. I'm super excited to talk about this. This is, um, I think, a very unique episode and um, a very unique concept that you're you're doing that I don't think we've seen at all in the hobby. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation. Maybe we'll just jump right in. Um, how did you get started in the hobby originally? Like, was it, did you, I assume that the greenhouse was not your first um, undertaking in the hobby because that would be <laughs> quite the jump in. Yeah, definitely not. So like everybody else, kind of a long answer to that question, you know, just been a short answer is I've just been obsessed with animals my whole life. Couldn't get away from, you know, when I was a little kid catching snakes and whatever I could find. And then that kind of progressed and I'm kind of all over the place. Actually, when I was in my, I don't know, probably when I was like 12 or 11, I got into freshwater aquariums. Nice. And that's what started it all from there. Cause I got, I think I got like a little crappy tank at Walmart, you know, got some little crabs and fish that shouldn't have been in it, killed them all. And then was like, okay, started looking up how to make things not die in my care. And then that's just started how much I loved research and stuff and just looking up different animals. And then I transitioned into reptiles, back into aquariums, back into reptiles, into saltwater aquariums. And then I've just been all over the place ever since really. But yeah, just, super passionate about animals and i don't think i could get away from it if i tried that's awesome we actually have quite like a very similar green i also started in freshwater aquariums and then kind of just went all over the place i haven't done salt water though so that's that's interesting are you currently doing everything or have you kind of just settled on reptiles i know you have a aquarium in the greenhouse which we, i keep referring to greenhouse everyone listening we will get to the greenhouse very very soon it's a very <coughs> exciting topic but um are you doing any other um, are you keeping reptiles anywhere else? And are you doing any aquarium stuff uh, at the moment? Uh, a little bit, not much. And I'm probably cutting it back more here soon. But I still have the 150-gallon freshwater aquarium. And that's what I grew out all the fish that are currently in the greenhouse in. Awesome. And then right now, I just have uh, six Congo spotted puffers in there. Like nice. six tiny little puffers just living in 150-gallon, you know, they're in heaven. 
And then I have a few reptiles at home, but nothing serious right now, but I do plan on in the near future, hopefully this summer, like redoing my whole reptile room, building custom racks, custom cages, and then actually focusing on some breeding projects, hopefully. So awesome. But the greenhouse is priority for sure. That is awesome. And, and, and I'm sure we'll link to it at the end of the episode, but the, the YouTube name is right there as well. A life exotics. Give this man a follow or subscribe to the channel. It's, it's yes. incredible what you're doing over there. Um, all right. So, um, any of the reptiles in the house, are they going, are any of them going to be moved into the greenhouse or is it sort of, you're starting fresh from the greenhouse, all the things that are coming in are new projects. Um, so I'm probably going to move probably the only thing that I have right now that's going to move into the greenhouse is the Williams eye day geckos, the electric blue day geckos. But I'll, I don't know for sure. I might keep, I have a breeding pair right now or I haven't got any offspring out of them yet, but I have a pair right now and I will either breed them and put their offspring in the greenhouse or I may just throw the whole thing in the greenhouse. I have not decided on that yet, but other that than is. that, everything at home is just staying at home, I think. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. So we've talked about it enough without talking about what it actually is. <laughs> let's get, let's get into the greenhouse. So um, can you like sort of summarize what it is and maybe how it was that you came up with this idea in the first place? Yeah. So same thing. I think when I first, very first started getting into like building vivariums and stuff like that at home and we're talking, I was like 15, 16 years old. I just always obsessed over the fact that like, um, I just wanted a big enough vivarium that you could walk into, you know, like the original plan was someday I'm going to grow up and I'm going to turn a whole bedroom into a vivarium, you know? And then really over the years, learning about different stuff and trying different stuff that just spiraled way out of control. So now what I've built so far is still a work in progress, but uh, it's basically a 20 by 30 foot uh, tropical jungle greenhouse vivarium. And for those that don't know, I'm in Northern Utah, so I'm in a very dry climate. So having something tropical here is like very different and very unique, but uh, I've always just wanted a vivarium I could walk into. So yeah, it's basically a tropical jungle. It's got free roaming animals. Currently we have some poison frogs, some gliding frogs, some different tree frogs. And then I've got a big pond with big monster fish in it. And we plan on adding a lot more, but it's basically just gonna be my attempt at representing a jungle ecosystem, including insects, animals, plants, everything. So it's gonna be something that people can go walk through and enjoy, check out all the animals for themselves. That's awesome. Are you, do you have in mind a specific um, rainforest or jungle or something specific that you're trying to replicate, or is it sort of just <clears throat> your dream rainforest? So I originally wanted to do South American themed because I'm like obsessed with South America and the Amazon. So that was the original plan, but I changed my mind just because how limiting that would make it, you know, right. I really still would like to do that for myself someday. But one of the goals with this greenhouse, one of the main goals is to be able to do tours and let other people come over and experience it That's and awesome. kind of people that aren't super into animals like us you know hopefully they could fall in love with nature and people from utah that might never go see a tropical jungle hopefully they could fall in love with it and then possibly i can help with some education and uh kind of preach some conservation and stuff while we're there and hopefully get people to just care about nature more in general so my thought was that if i limit myself then it's going to be less impressionable, less cool to the average person where right now the goal on a small scale is just to show off as many unique things and interactions as I possibly can, that there would be in a tropical rainforest 
to get the average person like really, really intrigued. You know, eventually I would love to do bigger ones and I would love to make them like region specific. That would be like the dream. But for now, I think to make a good impression on people and the average person that's not super into animals, I think limiting myself would be a bad idea. But. Absolutely. That makes sense. More diversity, <clears throat> more, more for them to see. And then, and then your idea of a giant room is awesome. Imagine a giant building with different rooms, with different zones. It, yeah, yeah, incredible. I, I really hope you do get to do this one day and I would love to come visit it. Um, but okay, so I like I run into like 10,000 walls just building like a 18 cube Exotero. Like 10,000 problems. Every time I, I, every time I start yeah. one, I'm like, all right, I got all my supplies, I'm ready to go. And then 10 minutes in, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot this. I, I made this mistake. How do you project manage for lack of better words an entire greenhouse without and like i I don't know like were there some interesting mistakes along the way yeah i mean honestly i expected there to be a lot more problems than there has been so that's been okay that's very nice (laughs) but it's not over i'm sure there's going to be many problems down the road but i try to just plan everything out like really well in advance, you know, like I was thinking about this idea for years before I actually committed to doing it. And uh, I honestly thought it was impossible for a long time. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do it. It was just one of those things you dream about. Oh, this would be so cool. And then it turned into like one day I'd be researching something and be like, oh, that would be something that could help make that vivarium dream cool, you know? And then over the years, something just snapped one day and I was like, I can't do this. I think, holy crap. I think so. I'm just going to take it one step at a time. And we're going to see what we can do, you know, like at first I was like, I'm just going to put basic plants in there. And then I was like, no, nah, I should get cool rare plants. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to put very basic animals that are really easy to take care of. And then as the ideas developed and I realized what was actually possible, I started just realizing more and more that, oh, I can actually make this like really cool. So let's just go full balls to the wall and make it as cool as we possibly can. And that's where we're at now. But uh, as far as problems go, there's definitely been... I would say more just like kinks to work out along the way, but I haven't really had any major problems, you know? There's like certain things, even like heating it, you know, and cooling it and stuff. I didn't know how that was gonna work. I'm not like an expert in these things by any means. So I kind of like did whatever research I can. I would stay up all night. Some nights I'd like barely even sleep just researching everything. And then I'd think this is gonna work. Yeah, exactly. It is. Sometimes it's stressful because sometimes, you know, with the heater, it's like, okay, I'm spending a couple thousand dollars on heating. Hopefully it works, you know? And then it's like December comes and I'm like, oh, it worked. Okay, perfect. Everything's going good. But as far as problems, yeah, I would say, I don't know. I'll probably think of something here soon, but nothing (laughs) major really. But things are just getting to the point where I could have major problems. Like for the first two years, it was just construction, you know? Okay. So there weren't living things in it. So there was also really that much that could go wrong. Okay. So that was actually my next question. How long has it been up and when did you start putting animals into it? Cause I only recently started, um, see, I actually had a bunch of people, uh, send me, start sending me your reels on Instagram. Like, yo, check out this guy, check out this guy. And this was maybe like two months ago. Uh, and then, uh, so that I, I don't know, I don't actually know how long you've been building this for or, or when you, you re- you had already put, um, the gold, uh, the, um, uh, the phylobates terribilis into, yeah. into the greenhouse when I, when I first discovered the channel. So yeah. How long has it been going on for? Okay. So I started like construction, building it period started like, I think a little over two and a half years ago, or like two years, four months, something like that. Or I mean, two years, eight months, I guess, something okay. like that. But, uh, I put 
so the first living things that went in were the fish in the pond. Once I completed the pond, I put the fish in. Cause like I said, I was growing them out at home in 150 gallon and I could put the fish in and still have a lot of work going on everywhere else. You know, that wasn't really a problem. And that was probably a year ago. I How think. big is the pond? So the pond is about 2000 gallons. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So it's like, I think it's 12 and a half feet wide, six and a half or seven foot depth, and then 40 inches deep. Incredible. Okay. So it's decent size, but uh, I wish I could go bigger, but I could not without taking up like way too much real estate in the greenhouse. But as far as everything outside of the pond, I think the terribilis were the first thing added, the first living creatures outside of the fish. And I think, man, I want to say it's been three months, maybe four months. Okay, so awesome. really, as far as like living inhabitants in the greenhouse, it's a fairly new development, you know? So you actually like tested it out for two years before you even started putting anything in it. Yeah. Well, here where I live, we get wintertime and stuff, you know, so summertime can get really hot and wintertime can get really cold. Like we can get down to zero during the winter, but it's usually in the teens. I'm talking Fahrenheit too, by the way, I'm not good at conversions, but uh, <laughs> usually in the teens and twenties during the winter and then summertime can get 100, 110 degrees outside. So I wanted, before I put any living animals in it, I wanted to make sure that we had at least one full summer and one full winter under the belt. And uh, it actually worked out good because last winter when I didn't have any living things in it was one of the worst winters we got here in a long time. So it was a good winter to like test things out. If things did not fall apart or have problems last winter, then they probably are not going to anytime in the future. Right. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Okay. So maybe let's talk about the pond for a second. I saw that you built sort of like a door to stop the fish from jumping out. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a genius idea by the way, but, yes. but is there another water feature in the greenhouse? Okay. Now you have dart frogs and things that maybe need water to breathe. Is there like another source of like a water feature, another smaller pond for them to use? Or are, are you like hoping to use plants and stuff like that? So definitely hoping to use plants and stuff, you know, okay. like I've researched, I'm going to add a lot of plants. Like I'm awesome. currently trying to decide, I am planning on adding another species of dart frog and I'm considering Uranotomea. And if I add them, I'll probably add like some of the Diffenbachia, which I know is what they breed in in the wild. But awesome. as far as other water, there is not any right now, but that is one of the projects in the very near future. Awesome. I'm working on a little pond. So kind of, if you're looking at like the pond, the front of the pond to the left, there's the rock wall with the big monstera. There's going to be one little pool there and that's going to be like the very tannin rich slow moving water and it's going to be filtered too i'm going to run these all off canister filters and everything because that's one good thing my like knowledge of aquariums i feel like helps me out you're probably the same way i think a Fair lot thing. of keepers knowing more about aquariums could help them out a lot but uh so the, over there i'm going to have kind of the slow stagnant water with really rich in tannins and then on the other side of the greenhouse i'm building two little ponds with a stream connecting them and there's going to be spots where the stream is like fast flowing, fast flowing, rapidy water. And then some spots where it really mellows out. So, and that will be clear, really clean filtered water too. So tannin awesome. water, slower, faster moving, clear water. And then hopefully we can see what the frogs prefer. Hopefully if I create that, then I can get some breeding going on. So you got some different, different types of water, different, I bet different, the different species of frogs will also use different types of water and different, uh, like speeds of water, I guess, for lack of better yeah, words. That's kind that's, of what I'm hoping. Yeah, that's that's super, super interesting. And okay, so so maybe we'll take a step back. How you, you did mention like heating it and cooling it would probably be your 
your biggest battles. How are you heating it and cooling it? Because it seems like, and you're in Utah too, so like you said, it gets really cool, really cold. Yeah. So uh, heating it is a natural gas shop heater. Okay. So luckily, like we have pretty cheap natural gas here. So that is like definitely the most affordable way. If I was heating it with electricity or something, I could probably never afford it. So the natural gas shop heater is how it's heated. The pond is heated separately with a heat pump. Okay, awesome. Because for those that don't know, heated water is like really not efficient and it's really expensive. So if you have like a house full of aquariums and you heat them all individually, it's crazy expensive. So heating 2000 gallons in a greenhouse would be really, really hard. But luckily the heat pump is super efficient and the heat pump actually heats and cools, which is perfect. So whatever I set the water to, it keeps it within one degree of that, which is awesome. So I have it set to like 80 degrees. So that is basically how the pond's heated. And then the, the heat from the pond helps heat the greenhouse as well. And then also I have like a geothermal system set up. So it doesn't have an official name, but most people call it like geothermal or geothermal earth battery. So basically we dug a pit like eight feet down the whole footprint of the greenhouse. And then I installed big tubes everywhere and two okay. layers with two feet of dirt in between them. And it's kind of complicated, but, or it sounds complicated, but it's not. And then those run to duct work that goes to the top of the greenhouse and the top of the greenhouse has fans that pull in air and pushes it through those ducts down underground. And what that does is during the day, all the hot air rises, you know, so it takes all the hottest air in the greenhouse it pushes it through the ground and it cools it down. So it helps cool a lot in the summertime, but then it also raises the temperature of the dirt and the ground and everything. So then at nighttime, when the coldest air is at the very top of the greenhouse, it takes that cold air and pumps it through the warm ground and that helps heat too. Wow. So that does, it's not the main source of heating. Like I said, the shop heater is definitely the main source of heating, but that I think just helps with efficiency and make it affordable, you know, cause it's super cheap to run the two pumps for that, you know, so. Yeah, cost up front and then trying to make it cheap long-term to maintain you know that was the goal at least yeah and something easy to maintain as well that's that's super interesting uh, what what like do you do you fluctuate the temperature in there or do you try to keep it at one base temperature and what what would that temperature be if you do so right now i have it just set to a minimum i do plan on changing this in the future though but i got some stuff to work out before i get to there but so the lowest it gets is like 68 degrees at night right now and then during the day it's usually in the like mid to high 70s right now in the winter and then during the summer it gets up to like 90 or so in there but i'm yeah. trying to bring that summertime temperature down as well or at least once plants are grown in i think i'm going to be able to maintain multiple microclimates so like down in the wet areas where they're really shaded i'm hoping i can create spaces that never get above 76 you know and then for animals that like the heat they can climb to the top of the tree and hit 80s you know high 80s yeah do you have basking lamps and like i guess uvb in there so that is one it? thing yeah. yeah i am actually going to do a youtube video on this soon so okay awesome you guys watch and check it out but uh, yeah stay tuned to his channel okay because <laughs> for those that know about uh like reptiles and stuff you know uvb from our lamps does not pass through glass and yeah. acrylic and stuff so that's like a big problem so one thing i want to say is i'm not saying that that's not true that is true but what you have to understand is our lamps are producing a small amount of uvb compared to the sun and they do not pass an effective amount of uvb through glass or through plastic you know an acrylic and glass uh transmit uvb very poor 
But what the greenhouse is made out of is polyethylene film and polyethylene does actually transmit UVB decent. It, from all the, so I looked up a bunch of studies and stuff. I'm not going to get into it. Cause like I said, I'm going to post a YouTube video on it soon and we're going to test it and see if it works. Awesome. There's okay. one thing that I kind of overlooked. So I might actually be wrong on this and I might need to add some lamps soon, but we're going to all figure out together. Okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I think everything I looked up, I read a bunch of studies that said that UVB transmission through polyethylene typically is just cut by 20%. And that's regardless of thickness, because they believe that that 20% is due to some sort of reflection or like chemicals in the plastic that block a certain amount of it. But when they increase the thickness of the polyethylene, it didn't decrease the amount of UVB, right? So theoretically, I should be getting 80% of the UVB still through the greenhouse. Realistically, I doubt it's that much, but it might still be plenty enough for basking reptiles. So the yeah. one thing I didn't look into, so this is my fault on this one, you know, but that's what it's all about. I'm learning how to make mistakes awesome. like anybody else is uh, that some uh, greenhouse films have like chemical retardants in them to block UV. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if mine does. So okay. if I bought one of those greenhouse films, some don't and some do, but if the specific one I bought does have that in it, then I very well may not be getting UVB in there. So that is, I literally plan on doing this last weekend, but uh, we've had like a bunch of storms here in Utah. So there has not even been sun the last, it's right. been sunny all week long, but I work. And then on the weekends, it's been like cloudy and I'm like, ah, man, I can't do the YouTube video. But so I got a solar meter. I'm going to test it, see what it is. And if it's not, good then i'm going to go over how i'm going to make it good you know because i think i got a pretty good plan to add different lamps and stuff in there and make it good if i have to but obviously if i don't have to i'd rather not do that another big expense but if i gotta do it i gotta do it you know whatever's good for the animals is good for me so no for sure so you would go the route of adding more lamps not changing the roofing i guess of the greenhouse yeah, probably adding more lamps. Because honestly, the adding more lamps probably isn't a bad thing anyways, because we don't get a ton of sun here in the yeah. wintertime. You know, our days are super short. Yeah. So even if it is good, I might add lamps in like certain basking spots just as supplemental. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. So adding lamps, I don't think would be the worst thing ever. The only problem is adding lamps. There's a bunch of complications, you know. Like everybody's telling me that I should just add some like Arcadia lamps, you know, but those yeah. aren't going to do any good in the greenhouse. Right. You know, like unless I can put those within six inches or 10 inches of each basking spot in the greenhouse. And then also those are T5 bulbs, which I have like a misting system and stuff. I can't just sit there and soak those light fixtures. That's like an yeah. electrical hazard waiting to happen. So For sure. And it's wires everywhere as well. Yeah, exactly. So I got to find a way to do it. Luckily, everybody's coming out with LED technology for UV right now. So that may work in my favor. I wish we were further along in that process, but uh yeah, because LEDs would be great in there. But yeah, I don't know for sure exactly how I'll do it if I do it, but I have some pretty good ideas. I just don't want to speak on it too much until I know more what I'm talking about. But. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, go check out, go go subscribe to the channel to check out that video. Find out if the greenhouse can, can I guess, let UVB pass through. I don't know what the right wording is here, but okay. So you yeah. just mentioned, you just mentioned um, you have, you do have a missing system. So that was actually one of the questions I, I had for you. So um, is it like, are you using like a misking or is there another way you're missing this, the, the, the room? And, and I assume you're, you don't need to go in there with like a hose and like water the plants, right? Uh, so I do have a hose and there's certain plants, like some okay. of the plants that are mounted epiphytically, 
like there's one that gets blasted by the heater so that and it's one of my like most rare expensive plants <laughs> but, okay. uh, so that one dries out pretty bad so i do like every day when i go over there i just water i spot water i guess i should say okay. but for the most part i don't need to the misting system handles it all as far as the misting system goes it is not a mist king or anything it's a misting system that's made for greenhouses so it's awesome. called metafim that's the brand that makes like the sprinkler heads and stuff but it's actually super simple and it's very similar to like a mist king like i got a specific controller so i can set how many times it goes off how long for and then i can set like on and off time so like it turns off for these four hours and on for these eight hours or whatever but they're much bigger misting heads and they're like all over the greenhouse and they put out a lot more water than like a mist king would okay but i do kind of want to upgrade i'm probably going to upgrade to a high pressure misting system in the future it's like a couple thousand psi because it'll produce such fine mist it's like they call them foggers technically so that would be a lot better because it, it would increase humidity it would help with cooling and then when it soak things you know because that's yeah. the problem i have right now where it's so dry in utah during the summer when my ventilation because i do have automatic vents that open and that's one of the ways we cool the greenhouse but it drops the humidity and it dries things out fairly bad so I've got it to where the humidity always stays 60 plus, okay. but I think the high pressure misting system would help with the cooling to where the vents run less often. So I could maintain a very high humidity without soaking things. Cause right now it's like wet or dry. It's really hard okay. to find an in between. That's the problem I'm running into. Man, this is super interesting. Okay. Follow up question. This is a little bit of a silly one, but um, have you ever been in the greenhouse when the mister started and do you get absolutely soaked? <laughs> uh yeah so right now i have it set up so it only missed it missed often but not for very long so it's only missed okay. for 20 seconds every i think it's 20 or 30 minutes right now okay so when it goes off you get like slightly moist but that's it you're dry in like 30 <laughs> seconds you know but yeah sometimes like if i'm filming and stuff i have to turn the misting system off sometimes i forget to and soak my camera you know but <laughs> for the most part it's not too bad it feels good in the summertime when it's hot. I bet, yeah, but not when it's cold outside and you have to run outside into the yeah. snow. It, yeah, no, that's hilarious. Okay, so you, you also just mentioned that's part of how you um, cool it. How, how else, like, how, what other methods of cooling do you have? Yeah, so I have the ventilation, like I said. So basically on the front top, there's a big 30-inch fan that's hooked to a thermostat, and that blows air out of the greenhouse. And then on the back, there's just vents that are on, like, little louvered vents you know and there's motors that open those automatically so whenever that fan or whenever i can set the temperature to whatever i want so i'll set it to say like 85 degrees so when the greenhouse gets 85 degrees that fan kicks on and those vents open and that pulls water over the or pulls air sorry over the pond and then up high and pulls out a lot of the hot air so that's the one way but the problem here in utah like in the summertime sometimes it's 15 percent humidity you know 20 percent humidity so that would absolutely dry the greenhouse out. Right. So the pond helps with that. But uh, one other thing we did is I built like a custom wet wall system. So if any of you guys know about greenhouses, you know what a wet wall is. If you don't, you can Google it and it's a pretty simple thing, but it's basically just an evaporative cooler designed for a greenhouse. So right. evaporative cooling works by, you know, you have the big cardboard pads that you see in like a swamp cooler and water trickles down through them and then the air that's already going through those vents gets pulled through those pads instead and it cools the air so it's basically like an air conditioning but the thing is the cost of it is just a pump to cycle the water so rather than like all this electricity and stuff i already have the vents 
And that actually worked a lot because before I had that, it was getting to like 115, 120 degrees in the greenhouse. And now that I got that, like we had one day last summer where it was like 109 outside all day long in full sun. And I think the greenhouse got like 92. Wow. So, and the other thing that does is it pulls in a bunch of moisture too from the evaporative cooling. So it keeps the humidity 60 plus, even when the vents are open and running full blast for hours, humidity stays at least 60. But okay. the plan is to still increase that. I'd like the humidity to be 70 plus. Okay. That makes sense. So with all this like technology, you know, like all, all these things that you need to run the greenhouse, is there um, anything that you have to do to prevent the animals from like getting into wires and like, or water getting into the wires or like, or is there any preventative me measures that you have to take? Yeah, definitely. So okay. this was one of the things where like research saved me on this, you know, okay. like all the electrical outlets, everything is waterproof. You know, even the conduit that I ran had to be rain tight conduit. Okay. Like all the fittings were rain tight couplers, yeah. rain tight fittings, the outlets themselves, it's all sealed up except for the front of the outlet. And then as plastic covers that go all the way around and then seal around the cords. So there's really like no way for anything to get. To, and that was one thing I was worried about. I was like, man, because I have GFIs installed in the outlets, you know, so I don't just cause a fire and burn the thing down. Right. But I was like, man, hopefully I get this missing system because I did the electrical first. Missing system obviously came later. I was like, man, hopefully once this is hooked up, I'm not just tripping GFIs constantly, you know, but I have not had any. So I guess my waterproofing on the electrical worked out pretty good. It worked out well. Yeah. But yeah, definitely something that just like a lot of thought has to go into it. You know, every single thing I do in there, I think that's one thing people underestimate is like, I really have to think through everything before I do it, like months before I do it. So like right now I'm working on the projects I'm working on, you know, but in my head and when I'm researching, I'm planning out the stuff I'm going to be working on six to eight months, you know, because yeah, that's sure. just how long it takes to properly research and learn something from scratch, you know. Like you can learn anything on the internet, but this is what I tell people. You can't watch two videos on YouTube. You know, you got to watch a hundred videos Absolutely. and articles and only two of them end up being useful. So. Absolutely. And you, you build time. the entire thing yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry too, if my voice gets. No, no, you're good. You're good. starting to get sick or something, but. <laughs> you're okay. But uh, yeah, me and my girlfriend pretty much built the whole thing from scratch. That's crazy. So. And I do work construction, but I've been like doing gas pipelines and stuff for the last 10 years. So I don't know anything about building houses and doing electrical and stuff like that. Like we learned the electrical, I will say, that's the one thing that I got some help with from somebody that is an electrician, you know, that yeah. taught me how to do everything, helped me with it for the first couple of days. And then I was like, okay, I got it from here. Yeah. But everything else I did myself just from researching online and asking friends and asking people I know who do it for a living. So you can learn anything you want. Yeah, no, absolutely. Actually, that brings up a, a, a very interesting question. So here or, or where I live in Ottawa, um, anything you want to do electric-wise, even just installing a new plug, you have to get like signed off by an electrician. You have to get permits. You have to get all this kind of stuff or building something or digging in your backyard, all these kind of things you need permits. Do you need permits or anything? Like, do you have to get anyone to sign off before you build something like this? Yeah. So you have to have building permits and then okay, you have to have do, inspections yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I just made sure like the electrician, you know, he helped me do everything. I did a lot of the work myself, but yeah. technically it was him, you know? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And everything passed inspection and everything is good. So good to go on that. That's awesome. Okay. But yeah. That was definitely a pain. 
And that was that almost shut down the whole greenhouse thing, trying to get like building permits and stuff. I bet. almost gave up and didn't do any of it, but we persevered and now we're here, you know? Yeah. It's probably a lot of paperwork. That's just like a headache. Yeah. And just, I don't know. It's a whole thing. I could talk about it forever. But like, <laughs> we hit the city up about it and they just didn't know nobody had ever done anything like that. So I was thinking I'd get a similar permit that you would for like a detached garage. You right. know? So, cause it's an accessory building and they're like, well, the square footage is too big to be an accessory building. So we don't know. And I'm like, well, it's a greenhouse, you know, it's made of plastic. Like it's not a big deal. And they were like, yeah, we agree with you. We'll get back to you. And then they got back to me basically. And we're like, okay, you need a architectural and structural engineered prints. I'm like, okay, well, it's not a structural building. So that's impossible. That's not yeah. going to happen. So I don't know. It's a whole thing, but we went back and forth forever. And then basically guy in the city kind of helped me out and gave me, gave me some tips and we figured it out and made everything work. So, but it was like by the skin of my teeth, we almost didn't get to do any of it. But. That's awesome. I'm glad you were able to do it. I think many, many people are glad you were able to do it. It's kind of like, inspiring many people to think that this is a possibility right like obviously it's not an easy thing to do uh by any means but it is now you've put the idea into the universe now that this is something that a reptile keeper can can accomplish um you say you just said it's bigger than uh detached garage how big is it so it's about 20 i think it's god i can't remember how many square feet it is but it's about 20 by 30 foot and then it's about 18 foot tall at the peak wow okay yeah so yeah, I you, think the videos make it look smaller because everybody that comes over, I don't think so, but everybody that comes over and sees it for the first time is always like, oh my gosh, this is way bigger than I thought it was. I Yeah, I, I think it's hard to judge on video. I my you look, you look like when you stand in it, you can see like that it looks pretty large around you, but it's kind of hard to judge because I don't know how tall you are, right? Like it's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, okay, so how how self-sustaining is it like if you were to go away for a couple of weeks or a week or a couple of days um maybe not at this stage but like maybe is the goal for it to have like some form of cricket or grasshopper breeding in there that all the animals can sustain themselves off of or like i'm sure you have like um isopods and stuff like that in there but like how long term i guess how self-sustaining do you think it would be so Long-term, not very self-sustaining, but short-term, very self-sustaining, especially compared to keeping animals in vivariums. Like, honestly, right now, I think I could not feed again, and I think I'd be fine. The only thing is the fish. Fish need to be fed, like, right. every other day, no matter what. Yeah. And they eat, like, pounds of food. You know, it's a yeah. nightmare. But uh, as far as, like, the, the dart frogs and the tree frogs and stuff, I think I could stop feeding right now, and I think they'd be okay. But that doesn't leave me a way to supplement them with dusted stuff, you know? So I will always introduce food because I try to introduce dusted food and helpless supplements as much as possible. But like the dart frogs, especially there's people don't realize that that's the one thing I always get is how do they eat? You know, like, how do you know they're eating? And I'm like, they're fat as hell. That's, that's how I know they're eating. <laughs> yeah. But like the mulch on the ground, if you take a handful of it and scoop it up, it is crawling with microorganisms, you know, okay. there's little worms, there's ants, there's like all kinds of stuff in there. So I think the dart frogs could very easily sustain themselves, but I try to feed dusted fruit flies twice a week just to help with supplementation, like I said, but I don't think it's necessary as far as just having food to eat. And then same with all the tree frogs. If anything, I move everything to the greenhouse and it gets fatter. Like, yeah. like my tree, my blue webbed frogs, I'm like worried they're obese. They're all blue, huge. Blue they're like webbed? 
Yeah, blue web gliding frogs. Okay. Uh, Rockaforus rainwartii. Okay. But they're super cool. They're not very common. And it's honestly like pretty hard to find information about them. So those are one of the things. I have oh, six sick. of them in there. And I'm really hoping I can get them to breed eventually. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, they. I put them in there and they're like round now. And they're not supposed to be that <laughs> fat. <laughs> you know? so yeah. like, man, like in captivity or in like vivariums, I can limit things food and keep them a healthy weight, you know. But I'm like in the greenhouse. It's a free for all. But I didn't expect that to be a problem. Things getting too fat. I thought keeping them fed would be a problem, if anything, you know. Yeah, that's why I asked. So, uh, it's a very cute dog. Um, he's out of here. He's sick of us talking. He's, he's done. He's done with the the greenhouse talk. Uh, so, so first of all, did you did you introduce all those microorganisms yourself, or is, is some of it just stuff that like, appeared with plants, or just from your surrounding area? Uh, both. So I've introduced like springtails, isopods, fruit flies. Uh, banded crickets and i think i finally got the banded crickets breeding because okay, i just barely awesome. introduced more tonight okay, but awesome. i yeah. think it's been two months since i put any in there and i still consistently see them and then i also introduced banana roaches because i figured they'd be a very good food source for like multiple different animals but the, all the other stuff there's like there's centipedes there's spiders there's all kinds of little tiny almost microscopic stuff probably different types of springtails and stuff so okay that's i awesome. literally watched one of the terribilis the other day go after like a two inch centipede that like, is i don't know i don't know if he actually ended up eating it but i saw him like chasing after it and i was like there is no way he is gonna eat that but terribilis are crazy <laughs> yeah yeah they are yeah they i mean i've seen them eat like big size crickets and, and roaches they're 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 some really cool animals uh do you still have uh, you you mentioned like frog like dart frogs and you mentioned the tree frogs do you still have any i, I believe i saw you put some emerald tree skinks in there are they still in there as yes. well or did you yeah okay yeah and you, so i have three of them in there three of them, okay do you know the sexes of them yet um so i believe i have two males and one female okay awesome awesome yeah pretty yeah, sure get, get you get you some more females in there because they're they're i i i only have them in uh um 36 by 18 by 24 so i have a pair in that and they are some of the most fun things to watch in in my reptile room so i imagine in a greenhouse yeah. they, they would do incredible do you see them often so i did but i just barely put them in there probably a month ago okay cool. that. i don't even know if it's been that long but uh so for the first week i knew where every single one was all the time every time when i went in there and then it's like all of a sudden they found their spots. So there's right. one that I can always find. And then the other two, uh, I don't know if I see the other two, honestly, because I see, I've seen two at a time, but I'm Never pretty sure I've seen all three of them, but yeah. it's hard to tell, you know, I don't know them that well yet, but they're yeah. real reclusive right now, which is weird because that's not typical for them. But that seems to be the deal with everything so far I've put in the greenhouse, even the dart frogs. Like I put them in, they're active for a week, like super active all over the place and i'm like this is crazy and then they disappear for a month and then they're back to being active right. so i think once things realize like how many hiding spots there are and stuff they just disappear and then slowly as they get more comfortable they come back out so i just saw one of the emerald tree skinks shed the other day so i'm hoping now that he shed i'm hoping he's about to be out a little bit more be braver yeah. but yeah yeah they're, they're cool. it took it took mine um, my male, I've had like I've had them for almost maybe probably over two years now, and my male still wants nothing to do with me. But the female, it took even like it took like six, seven months for her to even like tongue feed. Now she like sort of walk on my hands, but still like they're they're skittish. 
I don't know if yours are wild caught or captive bred, but they're skittish, especially wild caught ones are pretty skittish for a while before they like kind of calm down. But once they do, or if you end up with babies, all the babies that I've produced are like hand tame puppies. Like it's it's crazy the difference. Dang. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure in a setup like that, I'm sure they will breed for you. You seem to get more females in there. <laughs> yeah. See, and I'm pretty sure mine are wild caught because I've been wanting them forever. They're like one of That's the cool. animals I planned. Actually, one of my big vivariums I built was for them, and then I just never found any. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes sense. I definitely want to get more, and I'm definitely like on the hunt for captive red ones, just because. Uh, yeah, it's just better all around. I don't see for a downside sure. to it. Yeah, but and, uh, and yeah, hopefully I find more in the future, and I might even end up keeping some at home because I really do like them a lot. They're like some of the coolest lizards I've ever seen. So they're they're a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Uh, so okay, so j jumping back to the sorry to keep jumping around, but jumping back to the uh, uh, cleanup crew or the uh, microorganisms. Um, you said you think it could they could survive short term like this, but not long term why do you think it wouldn't be self-sustaining long-term? Uh, just because there's always going to have to be some human interaction, you know, an intervention. And I'm always going to have to be solving problems and stuff. And like, like one thing I do is when I'm over there, I just pay close attention to everything, you know, I'm obsessive. But I'm like, I'm not just watching the animals. I'm looking to see like, oh, this week I haven't seen any crickets, you know, like this is hypothetical, but say I haven't seen any crickets. I know I'm losing food sources. So that means multiple things. That means I'm not feeding the insects enough for them to breed and do good, or I'm just running out and the animals are eating them all, you know, before they can breed and do good. So like some certain things have to be managed in advance. It's not like in a cage at home where I can just deal with things as they happen. Like things have to kind of be prevented more than anything. Yeah. And then supplementation. So I think like long-term things would just, without any human interaction, they would just become unhealthy most likely. But I'm not 100% sure. But you think even with frogs, they Sorry, have enough food to eat forever in there, I think. They they would never stop eating, you know. Yeah. Uh, you think even with like assuming there is UVB getting through and you have all this diversity of food and you have all these like microclimates or different areas higher humidity lower humidity whatever um do you think they still would need supplementation after all that i don't know i really don't know and this is honestly something that i guess i'll just get into it i avoid talking about this too much just because i know i'm going to get Sorry. a lot of criticism on it no you're okay i should talk about it more and i should voice my opinions on things you know the greenhouse a lot of it is an experiment you know but i'm not experimenting at the detriment of animals by any means you know right but uh yeah, so that is kind of my theory with the greenhouse is that if I add a super, because like the dart frogs, like I said, they probably eat 20, 30 different species of insects, you know, and fruit flies really are not super nutritious. So like one of the reasons we have to supplement a lot is because fruit flies are not Absolutely. super nutritious. Same with reptiles. We have to supplement because crickets are not the best food source. They're just the most convenient for us. So I think a super varied diet helps, but I'm not a scientist, so I have no way to know how much it helps. Right. I also think other things like uh, I'm waiting on a shipment right now. I finally found <clears throat> a bunch of uh, like calcium clay. So I'm going to make like huge awesome. clay patches in the greenhouse, awesome. like big clay patches that will always permanently be there. And then I'm going to also do little hidden clay baths as well of like really soupy clay. Awesome. So with that and a varied diet, there's a very good chance that they could not need any supplementation. But like I said, unfortunately, I'm not a scientist. I don't know how to test that. And I'm just not willing to test it by seeing if animals die or not, you know? 
Right. So I'm more supplementing to be safe, but long-term I'm yeah, I'm not convinced on whether I would need to or not. And honestly, like even with supplementing like the tree frogs and stuff, like I, I doubt they're getting much dusted crickets. You know, I can throw 500 dusted crickets out there at night, but by the time they come out and hunt them and eat them, the missing system's probably gone off and washed off all the calcium anyways so but tree frogs and stuff don't need as much calcium as like dart frogs do so i'm pretty sure they're okay no matter what right i i heard somewhere i can't remember where i heard this or who told me this it might have been one of one of my guests on the podcast but i I, someone told me it's about four hours from when you dust whatever it is crickets or fruit flies or whatever till the dust is completely gone or useless so if you only have four hours how do we really know that these animals are eating in those four hours Right. Yep, like I see exactly. sometimes I see a cricket like two, three days later that it, and I leave it in and they're <laughs> definitely going to get it, but that's definitely no longer dusted. Right. Um, yep. but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting topic for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I assume with, with all that, all that it's happening, I, I, right. I'm not, and I don't, I'm not saying you should experiment on your animals, but I assume with all, all that you, that you are providing for them in that environment, that you're already a couple of steps ahead from um, the animals that are in vivariums. Um, yeah. Supplementation wise and diet wise. See, and that's the hopes and that's something I did look into that like a lot before doing the greenhouse, you know, and that kind of is the thought in my head. And that's also one of the reasons I started with Terabilis is I know I can spot feed them supplemented animals right. or dusted fruit flies and stuff if I need to, you know? Yeah. But eventually like if I put Rana Tomea in there, they're not going to hunt down the, 500 dusted fruit flies i threw in there you know so like yeah by the time i get to them i'm hoping things are dialed in enough and i have clay and like just everything figured out to where they can do good without so much supplementation and then i'll probably still throw stuff in there to be safe but yeah the truth is a lot of animals are not going to get it probably yeah you, you mentioned earlier that um you managed to get the banded crickets breeding in there correct yeah i think so i don't know for sure but just by like like I said, it's been like two months since I added any, and I'm oh, seeing nice. small seeing ones. Them? Okay, awesome. So, and yeah. I, yeah, and I'm seeing pretty small ones, so they have to be breeding, you know? That's I awesome. don't know if they're breeding in amounts that could sustain everything yet, but yeah. The goal is to get, I think, the banded crickets and the banana roaches being the main food sources, because I think they'll do the best in the greenhouse, right? But yeah. the goal is to keep adding things. Like, I'm going to add black soldier flies. I want to add... I was listening to the one with Houston frogs, your podcast. And, awesome. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. I want to do the Malaysian micro roaches and stuff like that. I want to, look, yeah. I'm like looking into as many food sources as I possibly can that are a good fit for the greenhouse as well. So, cause if I could have like 200 different things I could eat, great. You know, that just improves the odds of things going good. So yeah, definitely reach out to Houston frogs. <clears throat> yeah. When, when we, when we did the episode, he was like listing off so many different like microorganisms that I hadn't even ever heard of. And I'm like, wow, like imagine the diversity in, in the soil and how well like the soil health is um, if you have yeah. those in there. Um, well, even with him talking about like actual like microorganisms and mycorrhizal fungi and stuff like that. So I'm super into that stuff too. I did a ton of research on like microfauna of soil before building the greenhouse. Cause one of yeah. the biggest things that stressed me out was the soil. I was like, right. what, what do I do? You know, how do yeah. I make good soil that's healthy? But uh, so I would really like to pick his brain on stuff like that and see what he thinks would be good to add. And, but I did order some of the microbial inoculants from him. Awesome. And a bunch of different stuff. But I did reach out to him and he hasn't got back to me yet. So I'm hoping he does get back to me. 
I, I listen to this, please, please message me. I could I, really use your help. I will, I will get him to, I will message him and get him to, 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 <laughs> to message yes, you. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's awesome. He probably just, he, he probably just missed it because he's an awesome dude and uh, I'm sure yeah. he will get back to you. Yeah. Um, your episode with him, I think I listened to it three times because <laughs> awesome. I was like, Thank this you is a guy man. that could help me like so much with this. It's crazy. Like his all his knowledge is, is like all the knowledge I'm lacking on this. And I'm like, oh man, that's the stuff I've been trying to research Absolutely. that I can't find. Yeah, and and so okay, so maybe we'll we'll dive into that a little bit. So you're ready um, on, I guess, Creepers Herpeticulture's suggestion. You you put in yeah, some yeah. some logs and so, or maybe let's wait. Okay, maybe before that, we'll we'll take a step back. What 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 did you end up doing for soil? Like, what is the substrate? Okay, I'm sure so it's a mix, mix of things probably. Yeah, and this was a nightmare too. This is one of the worst parts. Of the, I say that about everything in the greenhouse, though. But uh, I'm sure this whole journey was a nightmare, but we're loving watching it. <laughs> yeah. So I hunted around locally forever until I found the specific topsoil supplier that I wanted. Or they had the specific topsoil I wanted from a supplier. So it was really good topsoil. It had some mulch mixed in and some pumice and stuff like that. It's pretty expensive, but it was good. So I got 15 yards of that. And then I also added. Uh, like almost five yards of peat moss and five yards of perlite. Okay, awesome. So, and then I mixed that all together and then the top, like six inches, I mixed in a bunch of mulch, just like wood mulch with that. Yeah. And then I solid mulched like an inch or two over all of that and then leaf litter on top of that. So the idea behind that was uh, with the soil mix, I was trying to just figure out what'll retain the right amount of water and what'll house microorganisms properly. And then what'll, you know, drain enough. And it was, I don't know, there's a lot of thought that went into it. And then the layers of mulch and everything, because I'm kind of thinking there's a dirt below. And then there's a kind of mulchy dirt up top where the mulch is starting to really decompose. And then on top of that, there's clean mulch, which is new food and housing for microorganisms. And then same with leaves on top of that. So the idea is that once a year or so, I can remulch everything. And then it'll just keep decomposing and breaking down into healthy soil and food for the microorganisms that are so important. Yeah. That, so that makes just sense. the start, I was really worried. I was like, man, I'm going to mix this all up, put plants in here and they're going to die. Like this is not going to be any good, but everything is done wonderful so far. So that's Must awesome. Done right. And I've seen some of your plant unboxing videos and you're picking some really, really cool, like plants that I have never even heard of um, to put in there. So that's, that's really, really cool. Um, so okay so so yeah so that's that's what you did for the soil and then we were chatting a couple of weeks ago and and you mentioned that creepers agriculture <coughs> which shout out to him he's another awesome dude um but um yeah maybe tell me tell me that that story so what did you end up do what did he suggest what did you end up doing what um is it a different soil that you're using inside the logs like maybe break that down okay yeah so he just hit me up on instagram one day and was like man just a suggestion, just throwing this out there. You know, he's super respectful and cool about it, but I'm he glad he did. Him. And he was like, you should build a fossorial log, you know, for animals like salamanders and stuff like that, that burrow that you normally want to get to see in the greenhouse. He was like, you could build a log and you could like split it down the middle somehow, make it so it opens so you can showcase those animals when people come do tours. And I was like, dude, that is such a good idea. Genius. Like, that is genius. Yeah. I didn't think of that. So the plan was originally to find a big oak log or something because I decided I want to do cool beetles, which I'll talk about this in a second. Please but, do. Uh, bad, <laughs> bad news. But uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I want to do uh, cool beetles and stuff, and they all breed in like hardwood, rotten, decomposed hardwood. 
So my plan was to find an oak log and split it. But then I was like, man, how am I going to do like hinges? And my thing with the greenhouse is make everything look natural. Like eventually all the cinder block, everything's going to be covered. Like the only thing that's not going to be covered is like the heater, like stuff that I can't cover for safety reasons, you know? Right. So I don't want to add like big old hinges and ugly stuff. So I was trying to find a way to make it natural. I couldn't really think of anything that would work. And even like the screws on the hinges would just rot out and fall apart and so basically I put my own twist on it and I decided I have some big, like gorgeous pieces of cork wood or like cork tubes and stuff that I'm going to use to like hardscape the greenhouse. So I took a few of them and I made them look like one big fallen log. And then I cut openings out of the top because, you know, the cork tubes are hollow. Yeah. And then I figured I can fill that with flake soil and that's what I can raise the beetles in. So flake soil is like, yeah, please do explain. <laughs> I don't know exactly what it is. I haven't made it myself yet. Cause I'm like new to invertebrates too, by the way. Okay, cool. I'm not. So this is like where my knowledge is lacking a lot. I could use a lot of help with this, but uh, flake soil is like decomposed. It's basically simulating decomposed hardwood. It's made out of like hardwood sawdust and chips. And it's what you use to raise like millipedes and some of the big Goliath and stag beetles and stuff like that. Okay, cool. And I'm sure there'll be people that correct me out there. Like maybe not Goliath beetles. I think you put them in something else. I can't remember. But yeah, basically it's just the soil. So you buy the grubs, you know, or the larva. And there's different stages of larva. And then you raise them in flake soil. They eat the soil. And then eventually they metamorphosize into the beetles that you want. And the funny thing is most of the beetles, like the really cool big ones and stuff, most of them don't live very long. And some of the larvae take like two to three years to metamorphosize. So like okay. you're raising just this grub forever to get the beetle you want. Right. But I was thinking I could get, I wanted rainbow stag beetles and elephant beetles. Cause rainbow stag beetles, if you haven't seen them, look them up. They're like gorgeous. And then elephant beetles are the huge ones, like the size of my hand. And they come from a pretty tropical place. So I was like, man, those would be super cool in there. And I could just start raising a bunch of the grubs right now. And then uh, hopefully the beetles will breed in there. And by then I'll have actual rotting wood all over. So hopefully it'll be sustainable. So for the first little bit, I'd probably have to change out the flake soil and the log and check on them. And then hopefully after a few years, it becomes kind of a self-sustaining thing. But the downside is, like I said, I'm not into invertebrates. So I didn't know this. I assumed that I could have these beetles because I see people selling them, but apparently they're not legal in the U.S. at all. They're like completely illegal. So I looked into it and I was like, oh man, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I've just been talking about this in YouTube videos and stuff. I had no idea, like an idiot. Okay. Yeah. So unfortunately I can't have any of the cool beetles, but I could still have millipedes and salamanders and cool stuff. So okay, awesome. log is yeah. definitely still a success, but yeah, I know giant beetles or rainbow stag beetles. Bummer. But and there must you know, be some... how much I see that for sale, you know, like there's websites like well-known websites selling all those invertebrates but in yeah. in your same state not in my same state but it's nationwide okay. it's the oh is that the ban is nationwide okay yeah it's okay. a nationwide thing interesting so there's like three species of goliath beetle which i could have and they're really really cool but they're not tropical so everybody's like okay. oh they probably do fine but i'm like yeah but i'm really trying to do tropical stuff tropical you know? stuff yeah okay. so i'm not going to yeah, force yeah. something that's non-tropical to live in this wet gross environment you know i was going to say you could probably find a species that's legal but yeah okay that that makes sense as well yeah okay it's still a really cool concept and then okay so then to take a step up from there um you're you're also thinking of doing like um like different mushrooms and funguses on those logs as well i guess yes definitely so i actually just ordered one of the uh cultures from houston frogs too awesome. i'm just gonna okay. experiment with it because i know a decent amount about mushrooms and stuff i'm by no means an expert but like fungus and mycelium and stuff is something I'm also super, super into and interested in. 
So I ordered some of the bioluminescent ones. So I'm going to see if I can get those bioluminescent ones growing on the edge of that fallen log where I have all the flake soil piled up because those also grow in hardwood, like decomposing hardwood. So I'm like, the flake soil may be a decent medium for it. So I'm going to make a bunch of spawn at home and then I'm going to try to get that growing in there. But yeah, and then other thing with fungus that lots of people don't realize is a mycorrhizal fungus. It's like, for those that haven't heard of it, it's like lots of it doesn't even ever produce produce mushrooms right okay. so mushrooms are just the fruiting body of mycelium right the actual organism is mycelium only some mycelium produce mushrooms but there's micro different there's all kinds of different species too but mycorrhizal fungus basically goes through and it interconnects the roots of plants and it it's crazy stuff if you look into it like it can transport nutrients to these plants and it feeds off the exudates so the roots produce and i don't want to get this wrong like i said i'm not a scientist but basically plant roots produce exudates, which is like, I believe it's like sugars and carbohydrates and stuff. And the mycorrhizal fungus feeds off that. So it's beneficial for the mycorrhizal fungus to help the plants too. So plant roots can only spread so far. Mycorrhizal fungus can become basically a web that spreads really far. So it can uptake nutrients from out of the plant's reach and help transport them to the plant. So mycorrhizal fungus is very beneficial to plants. You know, that's why one of the reasons why old growth forests do so much better than like new growth forests, mycorrhizal fungus. It's like this whole web that interconnects the whole forest. So I've inoculated a bunch of different types in the greenhouse, but will I ever know if it's in there doing its thing or not? Not really, but I like to hope, you know? Yeah, I know that's interesting. There's, there's a book. I can't remember the name of it right now. Which I, something about speak. The trees are speaking or speak the, how the trees speak or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I remember it. Maybe sure. I'll mention it in a future episode if I remember it. But it's all about how the trees communicate um, <clears> using the mycelium and how it benefits, like, the the mutual relationship and how they benefit each other. And it's, it's super, super interesting. So, um, yeah, and this 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 greenhouse is getting more and more, and more awesome the more we're talking. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. I can't wait to see what it's going to become in a couple of months and even in a couple of years. Like, this is, yeah. Everyone yes. make sure I've said this a hundred times, but everyone make sure you're following along because this is actually yeah, I feel thank you. revolutionary in, in, in the reptile hobby. Like really, really cool I stuff. Know. I hope so. And I hope I can do a good job at it, you know, because I have a lot of really good ideas, but and I have good follow through. But yeah, we'll see. Like I said, I'm not a scientist. So any of you that are that think you have any information or anything beneficial, I'm like all ears, you know. I reply to like every single message I get, almost every comment I get, you know. Like I even with the UVB thing, you know, like I really thought I had that figured out and I was good to go. And a bunch of people kept just criticizing me about it. Where's the UVB just attacking me. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I should, I should listen to these people for a second and I should research it again. You know, like it doesn't hurt. Cause it doesn't ever hurt to rethink things and learn new things, you know? And I found out that I might've made a mistake and I might've got plastic that inhibits UVB passing through, you know? Right. So like yeah. people criticizing me actually might've helped me out and saved my animals, you know? So Anybody yeah. that has suggestions, I'm totally open to it. But yeah, my concept with the greenhouse is kind of start at the bottom of the ecosystem and build it up from there. If I have the bottom of the ecosystem, the microorganisms, the feeder insects, if they're healthy, everything else in turn will be healthy. Yeah. No, it's it's a fascinating concept. And 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 this was a super interesting conversation. I actually have a couple more questions to ask you before I let you go, um, if that's okay with you. Yeah, um, of course um but yeah man this is super super interesting conversation and i i i hope one day i you know, I, I a lot of people ask me like 
what's the end goal do you want do you want a pet store do you want to open a zoo like what, what is the end goal of you having all these animals in your basement and and i never like i think that it would like in 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 a perfect world i think that is exactly what i'd love to do like a greenhouse or something like a walk-in room a yeah your yeah. your your build is 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 very inspiring but okay so um what since you're since you're kind of doing both hobbies in this one greenhouse in this one building you're having the aquarium hobby you're having the plants i'm not even both hobbies you have like 10 hobbies that you're <laughs> yeah, 10 niches that you're covering in one building yeah. are there like do you find that there's a lot of crossovers or a lot of things that you learned that like sort of benefited you in in your keeping elsewhere yes so literally in every direction like the greenhouse is yeah. like a What's a, a Venn diagram, I think, the one with the circles that overlap? It's like if you took every single one of my hobbies right. and yeah, pushed yeah, all yeah. the circles together and there was a spot where every single one overlapped, that's the center. That's the that's greenhouse, the you the know? Greenhouse. Yeah. Yeah, so like being into plants, because I'm into like house plants and stuff too, you know? That's how I know a lot yeah. about plants. I'm also into vivarium plants, which is different than the house plant world and the house plant hobby, I should say. Absolutely. Yeah, so I really think like my knowledge of everything is what – like, I want to say I'm qualified to do the greenhouse, you know, but obviously I'm doing it. But I think yeah. the fact that I'm like a jack of all trades rather than being a specialist at one is what makes me the person to do this. And I think it's the reason I'm doing it and I'm doing it the way I'm doing it, you know, because I know like all doing the reptile well. people I know, they would do like, thank you, appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, like all the reptile people would turn it into a big monitor enclosure, you know, with some pothos in it or something. Right. Yeah, and then all yeah. the plant people I know would turn it into this gorgeous botanical garden that might have one invasive lizard in it, you know? And then <laughs> like, like, like yeah, yeah. all the bird people would turn it into a big aviary with just a couple pot plants in pots, you know? I didn't even think like, of bird. That's genius. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so it's like everybody would make it their own thing based off their hobby. What really interests me is uh how everything combines like what i'm really really interested in my main thing is like the ecosystem i'm not like a specialist in reptiles or fish or plants or anything i really really like how environments interact with each other and how environmental stressors affect the behavior of different plants and animals and stuff so that's what i'm doing in the greenhouse and then all my other hobbies just help me do a good job at it i guess yeah fascinating fascinating I, I i didn't even think of it that way you're absolutely right i think i think everyone every niche would have taken or every hobby would have taken it in a specific direction and you've perfectly curated a space with all these different niches we're working together so that's that's very interesting I, yeah you're absolutely right every single reptile person would have either made it a snake room or a giant monitor <laughs> building yeah. for sure for sure and and the amphibian guys it would have been like a giant dart frog enclosure but you've perfectly yeah. like have everything in there so that's awesome um i don't know if you want me to ask this question or not and if 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 you don't want to answer it i completely understand but is there plans for more animals or more species coming into the room like you mentioned you just mentioned i don't know yeah yeah like is it yeah, is it gonna definitely. be strictly yeah okay uh, yeah answer it how you wish i'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> no you're good but uh yeah, no. And I, I'm very open about the whole greenhouse and the process too, just so you or anybody listening knows. Like I'm not hiding anything. I'm not hiding my failures. I'm not hiding anything. Like this is an experience for everybody. That's the end goal. So 
that's why I said I'm open to criticism because I really don't care. I have nothing to hide. I could totally fail and look like a complete idiot. I'll just move on with my life. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, there is plans for more species. I kind of mentioned before, I do plan on adding one more species of dart frog for sure. Yes. Right. Uh, yes. I, awesome. Not for sure decided, but I think like a small arboreal one would be cool. You know, the terabilis on the bottom, little arboreal, more reclusive frogs that are more of a treat to see up high, I think would be really cool. Right. It's me. I'm adding more frogs, you know, like I'm for sure adding uh, bicolors, phylomedusa bicolors. Awesome. Yeah. Could not convince me not to add them. They're <laughs> like the perfect fit for the greenhouse. And they're such cool frogs. And for doing tours and stuff, they're such good display frogs for little kids to come see and stuff. So, and they'll probably always be out in the open yeah i can always find them because they'll just be sitting on a branch looking yeah. like a rock <laughs> but yeah. uh i plan on adding more geckos and stuff i mentioned the blue day geckos uh and then i'm also very open to things and i have a lot of animals that i do plan on adding but as things progress plans may change so for sure there's like a few that i for sure plan on adding like the bicolors and other species of dart frog and then uh but if it ends up not being a good fit it's plan's going to change later on and i'm also probably going to add a bunch of animals that i'm not currently planning on like i'd really like to add some glass frogs as well but the temperatures may be an issue so i need to really do some research on a species that could handle higher temperatures if there's not one then they're not going to get added but outside of herps and amphibians and stuff uh, i do plan on adding at least a bird and this is like this is like my absolute dream bird and it's still a big if but I'm like really pushing for it. So it probably will happen, but I want to add a curl crested RSRI. So for those that don't know, That's they're like, awesome. um, RSRIs are miniature toucans. They're in the toucan family, but they're a lot smaller. That's and awesome. curl crested RSRIs are probably the prettiest RSRI and the most personable. They're like super, they actually make fairly good pets. Like I would say they make way better pets than parrots and stuff. They're not destructive. So I think that'd be so cool. You come in, there's lizards running around and stuff. Imagine being a little kid. You come in there, there's lizards dude, running around and stuff, and a, and a toucan comes and lands on you and eats blueberries out of your hand. Like, it's a dream. Dude, I don't even need to imagine being a little kid right now. I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going crazy right now. That's crazy, bro. That's yeah. so cool. Uh, yeah, listen, if you put a bird in that greenhouse, I'm fly I'm also a bird guy. So if, <laughs> if you put a oh, bird in the greenhouse, I'm fly. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, love birds um that is so cool i actually so I, I i before i even kept any reptiles i was doing a bunch of aquariums and bird stuff and then the reptiles kind of took over and i stopped doing everything else and then slowly worked my way back. that's how it goes yeah, uh, yeah exactly um but do they take over they take over there it's it's too addicting that's what it is it's um, easy to collect them too you know so it's easy it it's like one thing at a time and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah this has consumed my whole life Dang it. yeah absolutely i i was i was thinking you were gonna say like finches or canary <laughs> like yeah. that is so much cooler that's that's awesome okay so that was the original plan was some goldian finches and okay, some uh, yeah. tanagers you know but I'm like why why even do birds why point, not do something know? cooler yeah exactly yeah i think me and you are similar i didn't realize you were into birds too so that's well, super cool i yeah i i i used to breed budgies um back in the day nice. and then i i had an african gray parrot for uh, 14 years i I love the little guy, but yeah, no, that, yeah. Do you keep any birds at the moment? No, I don't. And we had like one childhood. So birds are one of those things I've always been interested in. I've always researched them a ton. 
but I just have not kept them a lot, you know? Yeah. Because they just, yeah. like, lots of birds realistically don't make good house pets. They don't, you know? no. Yeah, especially if you live with other people, like, especially parrots and stuff. Like, everybody thinks so they're going to get a parrot that's, like, a good, their best friend that hangs out with them. It's not yeah, like that. It's, they're it's not like that. destructive <laughs> little nightmares, and they're they loud. They that's are. the other cool thing about the RSRI. They're not that loud. They're pretty okay. quiet. Yeah. They're pretty non-destructive. Their beaks aren't even really strong enough to do too much damage. But, yeah, I do plan on adding the RSRI, and then if things go good, probably maybe like one or two pairs of some cool tropical tanagers like maybe some paradise tanagers or something yeah but we'll see might just do the rsari by itself because it's gonna be a pretty obnoxious bird i think so if you're looking for something not loud i don't even know i learned about these recently i don't even know if they what their environment is or if they'll fit fit your same but there's something called cacarites from i think new zealand they're like little mm -hmm. parrots but they're super silent and i think they they're they come in really cool colors too uh, really? so that could be another another option for you but i would get a pair yeah uh, like uh, yeah like i i don't know yeah you you i'm i look very very i'm very much looking forward to seeing yeah. how, how how things go in this greenhouse um have you considered the tortoise of any kind or like a some type oh, of man. turtle <laughs> so i want to do tortoises so bad but i think like red foots or something simple would be so cool in there you know but yeah. i think they're too destructive because they dig burrows and they'll trash my plants you know right yeah, yeah so i think tortoises would be hard i really want to do one the only and then turtles are similar issues i don't want to do aquatic turtles because i have the stingray and stuff you know so aquatic right. turtles nip fish and stingrays hang out on the bottom so yeah pretty yeah. much no turtles even i was going to do a fly river turtle in the pond but i talked to some serious like stingray breeders and stuff and they were like oh yeah they nip stingrays like people think they don't but they turn three years old and start ripping chunks out of them one day you come right. home and your stingray is just missing bites you know okay and my stingray is like my prize animal right now so can't afford <laughs> yeah it's, to happen absolutely to have you and considered as far getting... as terrestrial turtles go i don't the only one that i really think i want to do is uh leaf turtles but cool. they're hard to find and they're expensive so yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see see how that goes for sure. Have you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Have you considered getting? I don't know if uh, if you're. Have you get considered getting a second uh, stingray, like pairing them up, getting to trying to breed them? Yeah, that was the original plan, and then I was like, nah. And then I kind of <laughs> was like, yeah. And now I'm like, nah. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I've thought about it, but uh, breeding stingrays is kind of hard, and sometimes they can beat each other up pretty bad. And okay. The pond is a lot harder to like pay close attention to than like an aquarium at home you know for sure so like i said my female is my prize and the other thing is like 2,000 gallons is you know about aquariums you know so 2,000 gallons is big it's like plenty of room for all the yeah. fish i have but my motto with the whole pond and stuff is super understocked right understocked low maintenance like if i treated it like an aquarium it would be a full-time job just to take care of that right and i don't think things being super heavily stocked looks natural right so i don't know but that's not to say if the one, if the right male stingray came across and it was a good size and stuff, I might not be able to say no. Like I really want a white diamond stingray because mine's I the yes. black diamond and she's one of those <laughs> super white cross black diamonds. Awesome. So like, have you seen pictures of her when I first got her when she was, tiny? I have, I have. Her spots yes. were almost touching. It was insane. Right. She was yeah. like one of the best ones I've ever seen in the U S I don't know how I got lucky yeah. enough to get my hands on her, but thank you, Lewis at the waterfront. <laughs> shout out so, yeah no i have i've seen pictures of her and i've seen i've seen uh i'm obsessed with your arowana dude obsessed 
I, that's one day I'd like a gi- yeah I'd like a giant tag for them for some marijuana as well. But See, that's that uh, was that's one of the other things. It was always my dream when I was a little kid. When I first got into aquariums, like twelve or thirteen, I found a YouTube video, some like Malaysian guy or something that had a big in-ground swimming pool with arapaima and stuff. Oh, I've been looking insane. for this video for years, and I have not been able to find it again. But he used to go like snorkeling in his pool with all these that's huge so cool. arapaima and arowana. And I think I was like 12 when I found that video and I've been obsessed with monster fish ever since, but I just never felt like I could house them properly, you know? Cause I know yeah. lots of people keep marijuana and like, like I think the industry standard is at least 200 gallons or something, but I personally don't think that's enough. Like they're a huge okay. fish. They get massive. So the greenhouse was like my excuse to finally be like, yes, monster fish. Monster fish. For this my whole life, you know, I finally can do it and do it properly. That's sick. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm uh. We'll, we'll wrap it up on this question. Actually, maybe real, <laughs> real quick. How do you water change the pond? Uh. So I have a, like a. It's a, a pressure filter. It's kind of okay. like similar to a sand filter in a pool, but it's okay, modified cool. for koi ponds. And uh, it just has like a handle you can turn to like waste, and you can discharge and stuff. So really, into the greenhouse I don't, or outside? Into it. Yeah, because the water is good for the plants. Yeah, right? that's what so I was wondering. Might yeah, as well, yeah. might as well reuse what I can. But I don't do very big of water changes. Like really, if anything, I'm flushing out the filter because those filters you have to flush them out every now and then. Like when right. I first do it, the water coming out is like solid brown. It's disgusting. But uh, so I basically just flush it enough. So it, I do that every week or every other week, just depending on my schedule. And it's probably around a ten percent water change, you know. Okay. But. And then the plan too with the pond, the pond's going to get way cooler. I plan on doing like big bog planters all the way around the back walls. They're going to cover awesome. up all the pipe work and all the ducks. And then I'm going to have all kinds of cool plants. So it's going to simulate like a shoreline kind of really cool, cool plants in there. I'm going to get some of the smaller species of the Amazon water lilies, the like really cool ones. Yeah. And then uh, I eventually, once the plants are in there and doing good, I'm going to start adding aquatic plants. So like eventually the drift, what I have in there and everything's going to be covered in Anubias and cool plants like that. That'll so. be sick. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, hopefully I'm super excited for this, man. I like, I'm, I'm, I, I wish I was in Utah to see it in person, but that's, it's what, <laughs> what, a, what a, what a cool project. What a cool project. Okay. Okay. We'll wrap it up on this. If, if, and obviously this is no easy feat or easy task and, and probably, I wouldn't even say 1% of reptile keepers would be able to pull this off successfully, but let's assume we're talking to that 0.5%. If, if someone wanted to do the same thing, um, what advice would you give them? I would say just learn how to research things properly and think through your own thoughts properly too, you know, because really you can do, you really can, like everybody tells you that growing up, it sounds cheesy, but you really can't do anything you want. But you have to do it right, though. It's your own personal responsibility to make sure you're doing it right to where it's not affecting things and other people and other animals negatively, you know? So I would say anybody, I really think they can do this, but uh, you got to research it. And the other thing, too, is it costs money, you know? Like, I think lots of people on social media think that I'm just, like, rich. But it's like, no, I work (laughs) 60, 70 hours a week breaking my back so that I can do this. So you can do this. You know? So, like, you have to... Don't commit to it if the motivation isn't there, you know, if you don't think you're going to follow through, follow through with it. But yeah, I think learning how to research, I think this goes for just animals in general too, just learning how to properly research things. Because it's not something we all just grow up knowing how to do. Some people it comes natural to and some people it doesn't. And it took me years how to figure out how to 
do more than just a basic Google search, you know, and find like right. secret information hiding out there. Podcast is one of the good forms of like really in-depth information that you wouldn't normally get. But yeah, I would say if you really want to do it, anybody wants to do something similar, you should fully commit, just uh, do research way in advance. And like I said, you do research a hundred things, like a hundred different articles you read them, two of them are going to be useful to you. So right. you got to do a ton of research for a very little amount of information and you got to be willing to do that. And then, yeah, I think you should follow through and follow your dreams, you know, because that's kind of what I'm doing. I just decided one day that I wasn't going to be happy living a normal mundane life. So I was like, I'm going to do something about it. I'm sick of thinking about it. I've been thinking about it for five years. <laughs> it's time to just shut up and do something about it. So I think more people need to commit to that. And there's always excuses of why you can't do things, and why you shouldn't do things. But there's just as many reasons of why you should. You just got to find them. Absolutely. That's that's awesome advice. And and. Um, yeah, I hope I hope that we start seeing more and more people try those methods out and try um, to experiment a little bit and, and kind of like, yeah. you know, this I think this is the exact definition of thinking outside the box. So I hope more people start to do the same thing. But that's awesome. Um, Zach, my friend, the name is on the screen already, Life Exotics. But can you let everybody know where they can find you on all the different platforms? Yeah, so definitely go follow me on YouTube. I do in-depth videos. I show how I do everything. Like I said, I hide nothing. You Link know? in the show notes. <laughs> so yeah, YouTube at Life Exotic. And then uh, Instagram is where I post like on my stories and stuff. So for just little day-to-day -day content and for messaging me, or if you want to get a hold of me, Instagram's the way to go. And that's at a.life.exotic. And then I also have a TikTok at Life Exotic, but honestly, I don't really care about that. That's basically just me reposting the videos I already post on Instagram. So that's exactly how I treat my TikTok as well. <laughs> yeah, it's like that was like the first thing I kind of started blowing up on and doing good on, and then I was just like, oh man, this is it doesn't seem to be beneficial to me at all. Yeah. But Instagram like is like where I connect with the community. I feel like I talk to people through messages. It's the most enjoyable, and then YouTube's really cool just because it's an opportunity to do long form that I can't do elsewhere. So I can do really in depth stuff and also build a different really cool crowd there but yeah if you're trying to get a hold of me or something and you want to give me some suggestions feel free to comment on youtube or instagram i try to reply to all the comments but also feel free to message me on instagram so yeah that's awesome and like i said all those all those links will be in the show notes and i you you beat me to it you literally said it i think i think our community is probably mostly on instagram like youtube is good for yeah. tutorials and 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 there is a bit of a community there as well but if, you, if you're talking Instagram versus TikTok, I think our community is definitely on Instagram. But anyway, that's that's yeah. completely off topic. Yep. Um, everyone, go give him a follow. All the links in the show notes. Thank you very, very much for coming on. This episode it was absolutely incredible. I'm so excited to continue to watch and see what, what you come up with next. And uh, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, so everyone listening, thank you very much for listening. We will see you on the next one very, very soon. And uh, I'm going to throw it in one more time. Go give a Life Exotics a follow, man. I'm, yes. I'm super hyped about this episode. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you very much, everyone.